today for your notes, um, and, and cell phones muted, and I know we think they're muted, but then like we get the timer that reminds us that our family's waiting for us at KMW because the Methodists got out earlier than we did. So make sure that you, you can mute your cell phones. Uh, we're still in Roots and Fruit, and today I want to talk to you in part five about bad uh, roots. Bad roots. And let me tell you what I'm going to do today. Um, years ago, a pastor gave me advice, and he said, if you want to have a big church, don't ever let anybody in your church know that you struggle. Uh, don't let them know that you're human because once they find out, they're going to get offended because people want this persona that their pastor's perfect. It makes them feel better to come to church knowing their pastor's perfect. They find out you're not perfect, they'll find another church. So I tried that, and the problem with that is, is at some point you're going to find out I'm not perfect, and then it causes offense and all that kind of thing. So today I'm going to tell you three bad roots in my life. Um, you could rename this sermon, My Pastor Has Problems. Um, or my pastor struggles. In fact, the word struggle is an important word today. Say struggle. struggle. And I'm doing this for two reasons. One is because I want to remind you that I'm just like you. Um, that I'm not here because I'm the most spiritual one. I'm here because I'm not. I'm not here because I know everything. I'm here because I don't. I'm not here because I have it all together. I'm here because I don't have it all together. I'm here for the same reason you are. Another thing is, is some of my bad roots I think some of you may have as well. And I'm going to tell you how to overcome and how I am continuing to overcome these bad roots in my life, okay? So, um, John 15, 5 is our key scripture, and it says, Jesus said this, I am the vine, or the root, and you're the branches. And it says, if you abide in me, and it talks about producing good fruit and good things happening. The word abide here is very important because it means this, to stay in one place for a long time, or to remain through the struggle. Do you know the choicest of all wines is produced from grapes that have remained through the struggle? In other words, even though the heat is blistering down on them, they don't fall off, they remain. Even though the winds are blowing, the storms come, the rain's falling, they don't fall off, they remain through all the struggles until the vine dresser pulls them off when he believes they're ripe and ready. And so um, one of the main... Um, ways that I've overcome and, and am continuing to overcome these bad roots in my life is because I've learned the secret of remaining through the struggle. I've learned the secret of how to abide even when all hell breaks loose in my life. And that's the answer for what we're going to talk about uh, today, remaining through the struggle. So uh, point number one is this, the first root that I battled in my life is rejection roots. Uh, rejection roots. Um, I feel like, and I, I use the word feel loosely because our emotions lie to us, but I feel like my life has been one giant ball of rejection. Um, growing up, my, my dad was in ministry. He had, he had the largest church in all of South Carolina for a non-denominational church in the 80s. He had a Bible college by the time he was 30. He had a television show that reached um, Eastern Seaboard in Canada. He was on the radio every week. And so he worked at church 80 hours a week, so I never saw him. Uh, so growing up, he didn't spend a lot of time with us. I was the firstborn child, didn't get to see my dad a lot. So I began to associate um, not having my father around and, and not feeling accepted. I began to associate that with church and Christians. Um, we went through church splits left and right. Um, church split is big in the 80s. It's where if there's a pastor of a large church, he'll begin to train up other pastors to help with the church. But those pastors will decide what well, they want their own church. So they'll pull people out of the church and go start their own church. So I had friends leaving me all growing up. Every six months, every year, a group of friends would just be gone and I'd never see them again. Um, I was in and out of Christian schools um, all as, a, as a little kid. Um, and a lot of them had, a lot of the Christian schools had um, unchristian like people in it. I remember there was one specific teacher who enjoyed um, stripping us young boys down to nothing. And um, beating us with a rod that had a scripture verse in it in front of other kids while all of our, all of our clothes are off us. 
Um, so again, I'm associating this rejection with Christians. I mean, this is how Christians are. I don't want to have anything to do with God. Um, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. So this rejection calls me to attack any Christian and every um, um, authority figure in my life. I remember one time a lady came up to me in church when I was 13, 14, and she said, you know that nobody likes you. And I was like, really? She said, nobody likes you. And she handed me Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. She said, you need to read this. And I told her where I was going to put that book um, whenever I got done reading it. And, um, and uh, so this was, this was, you know, most of my, um, my dad always spent time raising up other young men for ministry um, while I was just kind of behind the scenes. So I always used to think, you know, what's, what's wrong with me? Am I not holy enough? Do I not read my Bible enough? Am I not good enough? Why, why is my dad training all these other you know, men up for ministry and, and not me? And um, I remember all growing up, my dad had this Bible that he preached out of. I saw it hundreds and hundreds of sermons. It was worn, torn, and every single page in it had something that he had written that God showed him or a scripture he'd underlined. So throughout the years, I associated my dad's love with this Bible. It was his most prized possession. So I began asking, Dad, will you give me that Bible whenever you get a new one? He said, why do you want my Bible? It's all torn. I said, Dad, this is filled with, like, this is your Bible. I mean, this is everything. You love this Bible. You know, will you give it to me one day? And he'd say, sure. We'd talk about it over the years. Um, I remember one young man that my dad was great raising up uh, in ministry. Um, I was playing the piano in service one Sunday. And in the middle of service, my dad hands this guy the microphone and says, you know, God says you're supposed to prophesy. So the guy comes up on stage in front of a packed church, and he points to me and says, God says you're full of demons in front of the whole church. And I don't know if there were demons in me before he said that, but I can tell you when he said that, there were demons. I made sure he saw those demons too. So a few years went by, and I remember one Sunday, um, my dad announced in front of the church that God told him to get a new Bible and that he was going to give his old Bible to one of his sons. And I thought, man, this is the day. Not only am I going to be able to be healed from all this mess, not only am I going to know my dad loves me, but he's going to do it in front of everybody. Everybody will know that I'm loved now. Everybody will know there's something special about me, that I'm accepted. And so um, my dad says, you know, God told me to give this Bible to one of my sons, and so today I'm giving it to my oldest son in the Lord. And he hands it to the young man that was a little bit older than me who prophesied that I had demons in my life. <laughs> now, let me just say this. Every parent makes mistakes. I've made worse mistakes than that with my kids. We all do, and we never know how someone's going to receive something. Any rejection routes I've battled is not anyone's fault but my own. And anything you battle in life, you can't blame it on God, the devil, your parents, or anybody. It's totally and completely up to you if you're going to leave that root in your heart and in your life. But this is what my life was like. I remember after that, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go ask for another preacher's Bible. And so I went to this other preacher that was well-known. I said, can I have your Bible? He said, sure. And then I found out a few years later from one of my best friends that when my best friend was a little child, he was molested by that pastor. So I thought, well, I don't want that Bible. <laughs> this is my whole, I mean, this was just my Christian upbringing. This is what I saw. It was horrible. The problem with rejection roots is this. You never grow because you can't receive correction. You think everybody's out to get you. Everybody wants to attack you. Everybody thinks there's something. You can't be instructed. So whenever that root gets in you, it's like you, you stay in that place spiritually until you start to deal with it. Uh, rejection roots cause you to live insecure. You flood Facebook with selfies. This is your whole life is social media selfies because you're dying for somebody to say, I love you. You want so bad for people to like you 
and see how pretty you are, how amazing you are. You brag on yourself. you got to let the whole world accept you. The problem is the world can never give you what God can give you. Amen. And so we're dying for approval. We will we'll give our bodies away to anybody if it means that I'll feel loved. We'll do whatever it takes for somebody to approve of us. Our rejection roots cause us to compare ourselves to everybody else. How come this... This person's loved more than me. How come this pastor has more salvations in his church? He's younger than I am. What am I doing wrong, God? What's wrong with me? Uh, rejection roots cause you to form pride and you prove yourself to everybody. You're a people pleaser. If, if, if anyone thinks you're not doing good, it destroys you because your value is in people rather than God. So point number one is this. Rejection roots need water. They need water daily. Psalms 1-3 says, when you meditate on God's word, not on Sunday mornings, but day and night, you're like a tree planted by the water producing fruit. You know, how long can a person go without water? Let me ask this. A lot of you, let me say, a lot of you drink water on Sunday morning, but the next six days of the week you're dehydrated. And you wonder why you're thinking like the world and not thinking like God. Ephesians 5-26, that he might cleanse the church by the washing of the water with the word. The water, obviously, is the word of God. What is it like when you don't take a bath for six days? You stink. And when you stink, it affects everybody around you. I was full of stink. I, I was hurting everybody around me because I thought they were all out to attack me. You have to wash yourself on a daily basis. Our soul is cleansed by the word of God. Our spirit's cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But our soul, our mind, our mind, will, and emotions, it's cleansed by the word of God daily. Uh, remember the woman at the well, full of rejection. Everyone rejected her. Every man, every woman, her whole town. In John 4, 14, Jesus said, here's the answer. You need water. You need water from me. And the water I give you, it's going to actually be from the inside out. And here's what's so beautiful about the water of the word of God. It cleanses us from the inside out. That's important because the root's on the inside. If the root was on the outside, then you could lose weight and not feel rejection. Then you could look good and not feel rejection. Then the world could like all of your social media and you won't feel rejection if the root was on the outside, but it's not on the outside. So you can change the outside all day long, but you're still going to battle the rejection, the insecurity, the pride. You've got to let it cleanse you from the inside out. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing, not renewed on Sunday, but renewing every day of your mind. Let God transform you inwardly by changing the way you think. In other words, you can be a, a 41-year-old with a full head of hair, a cool orange sports car, and, 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 and a skinny figure and still battle rejection because it's not about the outside. Y'all look like y'all are lost. Is everybody okay so far? Okay, I feel like uh, I'm feeling rejected right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was funny though. Um, okay, so a root of rejection deceives us into putting more value on what people think than what God thinks. This is why you got to renew your mind with the water of the word. Amen. This is why you got to water yourself every single day. Because when you're not watering yourself with the word, something's watering you. And if it's the world, it, you're going to start thinking like the world. That you, have, you need their approval in order to feel good about yourself. So in, in 1 Samuel 16, remember when David, um, his father was told by the prophet Samuel, one of your boys is the next king. And so the prophet of Israel shows up at Jesse's house and says, Jesse, um, one of your sons is the man. One of your sons is going to be the leader of the entire nation. It's one of your sons. So Jesse lines up all of his boys 
but David. Can you imagine how David felt in the wilderness making minimum wage with full integrity, total excellence? And he looks, he says, what's going on over there? And one of the shepherds says, didn't you hear? The president of the entire country came to your house and said that one of your brothers is going to be the next king. And David's sitting there, what am I, what's wrong with me? Why, why, why can't I be accepted? What, am I, I'm not even able to be in the running? It's fine if I'm not king, but at least, at least, let, let, at least let me be part of it. In that one hour of, 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 of time, in that one hour of history, everything in David's future could have changed for the worst if he had allowed the root of rejection to get on the inside. But David knew how to water himself with the word every day. He didn't have a, a Bible app that he could read any moment. He didn't have a podcast to fill him up with faith. He didn't have a pastor to call him or encourage him. If David had nothing else, he would literally sit out there and make up songs to God about how amazing God is. Let me tell you, the more you verbalize, the more you hear words of how amazing God is and how much he loves you, the more your life changes. David even wrote Psalms 2710, even if my father rejects me, God will adopt me. Now, it didn't say, even if my father rejects me, I'm going to adopt God. That's not how it works. Uh, children never adopt the parents. Parents always adopt the children. That means God chose you. None of you in here chose God. You chose to believe that God chose you. He already chose you. You can't say, I chose, the reason I'm, because I chose God. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He chose you. You finally believe, but he chose you first. Um, the worst possible uh, profession to go into if you battle rejection is a pastor or the president of the United States, one of the two, because your heart, your job is, no matter how hard you try, your goal is to always help people. That's your, I mean, you, your whole life is to, how can I help people? How can I move them closer to help? How can I do whatever I can to bless them? But the thing with the pastor is people can reject you. They can talk bad about you on social media. They can write you nasty letters. And part of your job requirement is that you do nothing but forgive. That's painful. I mean, that is painful. I mean, they can say, they can tell lies about you and you're not allowed to say what really happened because you're a pastor. Horrible. Speaking of pastors and rejection, I want to read you some entries from John Wesley's diary from the 1700s, okay? He knew how to water himself with the word every day no matter what happened. But John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, these are actual entries from his diary in the 1700s. Sunday morning, May 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to return. Sunday night, May 5th, preached in St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. <laughs> Sunday morning, May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called special meeting and said, I cannot return. Sunday night, May 19th, preached on street, kicked off street. Sunday morning, May 26th, preached in Meadow, chased out of Meadow because bull was turned loose during service. Now, I don't like it when your cell phone rings. Imagine having a bull turn loose in the middle of church because you didn't like one of the sermon points. Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday night, June 2nd, preached in a pastor. 10,000 people came to hear me. Don't give up. Stay abiding. 
Stay close to the root, and eventually you'll produce fruit in your life. The only way to remove the root of rejection is to drink daily from the water of the word. Point number two is this. The second battle I've had in my life is religious roots. Uh, religious roots. After my horrible experiences with Christians all growing up, I had this thought. Um, in order for God to love me, I have to live a perfect life. In order for God to love me, I need to do everything right. I need to do whatever it takes to do right every single day. In fact, I was even in a relationship where we didn't go to the beach because we thought it was wrong. Didn't go to the movies. Didn't go to the water park. Um, oh, and if, I, I, I never drank any alcohol from age 21 to age 36. Even though, even though Jesus, well, he drank chocolate milk. We all know it wasn't real wine. But anyway, um, and so um, what else? Oh, um, oh, and if you smoke, you were definitely going to hell. And this is the way that I lived my life. I was trying to produce fruit without abiding in the root. You'll never produce fruit without abiding in the root. You can try all day long. It'll never happen. Romans 7, 4 says you've died to the law. Now you belong to Christ in order to bear fruit for God. Religious roots need, for your notes, the sun. S-O-N. They need the sun. There's nothing wrong with rules or regulations, standards, but that's not how we get to God. It's the relationship with the sun that causes the fruit to be produced in our life. Let me say it like this. If there's anything that you're battling in life right now, stop battling and spend time with Jesus. If you're trying to be good, stop trying to be good. Spend time with Jesus. If you're trying to change, stop trying to change and spend time with the sun. You will never change on your own. You'll never grow. And you can read all the self-help books in the world, but only the sun can actually change your life. In Luke 19.3, Zacchaeus showed up. Uh, he heard Jesus was in town, and Zacchaeus had a lot of problems. He was a tax collector, a liar, a thief. But when he saw Jesus was coming, he thought, you know what? I can't see him, so I'm going to climb up the sycamore tree. Now, this ladder represents us trying to climb to God. Uh, the latter represents our own efforts and our own strength. The latter represents what we try to do for God to love us. And we think, you know what, today, this Sunday, I'm going to tithe, and we do it. And then we think, tomorrow, I'm not going to cuss, and we do it. But here's the problem. Tuesday comes along, and we do something wrong, and we're back, back down the ladder. And then we think, you know what, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to forgive, we forgive. But then we gossip, and we think, man, I'm back down the ladder again. And our whole life is struggling to try to get to God our whole life is in our own. Please, God, I'm going to do my best today. I promise today I'm not going to do anything wrong. Today I'm going to not have any lustful thoughts. Today I'm not going to worry and doubt. Today's the day that I can live a perfect life. And no matter how hard you try, I promise you, you can't even go 24 hours. You can't do it. In verse 6, Jesus showed up and said, Zacchaeus, I want to change your life, but you have to come down. You have to come down from the ladder. You're never going to reach me up there. Zacchaeus had to make a decision. Am I going to keep trying to get to God this way? Or am I going to come down and just spend time with Jesus? And that was in verse 6. It's interesting. Something crazy, miraculous happened from verse 6 to verse 8. It doesn't tell us any details. So I have to guess. One of two things happened. One, either Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's wrong to steal. Thou shalt not steal, Zacchaeus. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt. I don't know if you realize what's right and what's wrong, but after I tell you what's right and what's wrong, then you'll change. Either that happened or 
Zacchaeus just talked about how much he loved Jesus. Jesus just talked about how much he loved Zacchaeus. They hung out and spent time together. One of two things happened. But the result in verse 8 says this. Um, Zacchaeus told Jesus, I'm giving everything away. The people that I've robbed, I'm giving back four times as much. And Jesus said, boy, you got saved and your whole family just got saved as well. What do you think happened? Did Zacchaeus finally learn what was right and wrong? The rules, the regulations, the law. Or did he spend time with Jesus? Which one? Spend time with Jesus. The latter isn't for us to get to God. The latter was for God to send the Son to us. We can go through our whole life thinking <laughs> that one day I'm going to do right. One day I'm going to do it. In Christianity, you don't have to do something. You have to receive something. That's what sets us apart from everybody else. In Christianity, it's not about if you do this, God will love you. If you do this, you'll be saved. No, no, no. It's about if you receive this, your whole life will change. Um, I want to kind of give you an example real quick just to show you. Um, I was in church and I was serving God. And um, I was playing the piano and I was reading my Bible and I was tithing. Uh, but I wasn't saved for many years. Um, I was trying my best, and if you can see by the arrows, over there is going to be the good way, over here is going to be the bad way. Um, and, and, and even though um, I would try my best to do what was right, I could do what's right. It took a lot of effort, but my heart was always going in the wrong direction. In other words, I wanted to want to go to church, but I didn't want to. I still went to church, but I didn't really want to. I wanted to want to serve, but I didn't want to. I served, but I didn't want to. And so it was a struggle. So anytime I gave, it took a lot of effort, but I would give. But sure enough, my heart would go right back in the other direction. Anytime I served or helped out or got baptized or all these good Christian things, I could do it. It took a lot of effort. Oh, I'm going to forgive them today. And then just an hour later, I'd gossip. Because my heart kept going in the wrong direction. And I would struggle and I would try to climb the ladder and I'd say, Jesus, today I'm going to do right. And, and, and I just, no matter how hard I tried, I just kept going the wrong direction. So one day in my early 20s, I called up Reverend Charles Randall. He was the only pastor at the time that I felt like really loved me, no matter what was going on in my life. And he drives down from Little River and he says, and I said, he said, well, I said, listen, I've been trying my whole life to be good. He said, stop trying. I said, what do you mean? If I stop trying, I'm going to go to hell or jail or dead or something. And he says, no, you just got to give your life to Jesus. So that day I remember talking to God and praying and said, God, I can't do it. I can't. I can't be good. I can't change. I can't do anything right. I have to have your help. I can't do it on my own. And Jesus reached down from heaven and went, bloop. And just like that, he changed the polarity of my heart. And then when I woke up, I wanted to do what was right. Now, I can still do the wrong thing, but it took a lot of effort. And after I did, I felt horrible because my heart was now wanting to serve. Well, you didn't have to talk me into going to church. I wanted to. You didn't have to talk me into forgiving. I don't care how bad they hurt me. I knew deep inside I had to forgive. Now, I could hold on to it for a few days. I it, Oh, but it hurts so bad, I just have to forgive. Religion can tell you what you're doing wrong, but only a relationship with the Son can help you do what's right. Amen. Nobody else can help you. My third and final root that I've battled and continue to battle is rebellious roots. Rebellious roots. Uh, rebellion is when you know exactly what the wrong thing is and you do it anyway. 
Since I've been saved, it's very shameful to say, but since I've been saved, I've known. You, could, you didn't have to hold up a sign. You didn't have to call me. I knew 100% it was wrong to gossip, and I would do it anyway. Since I've been saved, I know it's wrong. I know it is so wrong and evil to have unforgiveness or hatred in your heart towards somebody. But I could have it in my heart anyway. And it hurt. It burned. It didn't last. But I've actually chosen to do the wrong things many times I've been saved. I want to show you a little um, kind of a picture. Remember last week I talked to you about uh, the manifestations of God. And, um, and, and I said, you know, when you're in the right place and you're obeying, you get to experience these manifestations where God encourages you, gives you a word of wisdom, uh, prophecy, um, all these great things. Remember we talked about that? That's over here. Okay. I, I kind of told you that God only manifests himself when you're in the right place, but that's a lie. Uh, I don't want you to believe that. The truth is God can manifest himself anywhere. And so I thought about saying there's good manifestations of God and there's bad manifestations of God. I can't say there's good manifestations and I can't say there's bad manifestations because everything God does is good. So understand, theologically speaking, everything he does is good. So I'm going to call this enjoyable manifestations and unenjoyable manifestations. So let me just show you about rebellious roots. Um, and I'll, you pick which manifestation you want, okay? You could see, manifest God's presence by him giving you the words to speak to thousands of people in Nineveh. Or God can swallow you with a big fish for three days and you smell like sushi for three months. Which one do you want to experience? The enjoyable one? You sure? Because they're both God. They're both God. Um, you can write half the New Testament and train pastors, or you can get blinded by a light, knocked off your horse, and can't see for three days. They're both God. But which one do you want in your life? Um, you can, oh, here's a good one. You can actually go into your promised land by obeying, or you can hear God speak to you from a burning bush after 40 years in the desert. Which one do you want? Okay. Do you know that the reason that God sent all those plagues on the Egyptians was not because he didn't love them. It's because he did love them. He wanted them to turn to him. Um, I'm going to show you what rebellious roots need, but I want to I read a scripture first and see if you can find it. Okay? It says in Luke 13, 6, a man had a fig tree in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit but found none. So he said to the keeper of the vineyard, for three years they've been in church. For three years... They've had a preacher. For three years, they had a praying grandmother. For three years, I've opened doors. For three years, I've protected them. For three years, I've healed them. And yet, there's no fruit in their life. They're not experiencing any fruit. Cut them down. In fact, if you keep reading, it says they get thrown into hell. Because they're, they're not fruit producers. They're not saved. Why should it use up the soil? And here's what Jesus said. He answered, just leave it alone just one more year. Just give them just a little, don't let them die yet. Just give them a little bit more time. And here's what I'll do to try to bring them around. I'll dig and get to the root. And once I get to the root, I'm going to fertilize it. Re uh, rebellious roots need fertilizer. Fertilizer is the crap that we go through because of our own rebellious choices in life. And I have had to go through some stinky crap in my life. Because of my rebellious roots. Um, fertilizer is the struggling. Fertilizer is when God takes our worst times of life. 
But if we will abide in him, he'll take that and make something beautiful out of it. I've done some weddings before at some of the most gorgeous homes in Myrtle Beach. I remember I was doing one on 48th, 50th Avenue um, out of the ocean, and it was like a mansion of a home. I mean, they had, they had um, um, valet parking for us at their home. It was amazing. So I pull up to the house, and the guy takes my car, and when I'm walking up, I immediately think, oh, my goodness, the whole thing stinks. Like, what in the world is that horrible smell? And I look, and everything is beautiful. And then I realized they had just put fertilizer all through the garden. Manure, waste, leftovers. And they paid a lot of money for that stuff, too, because it makes things beautiful in life. Um, I want to close with a Bible story. Um, it, it's about Jacob. Does anybody know what Jacob's name got turned into? Israel. Okay, so the whole nation of Israel comes out of Jacob. Okay, Jacob's grandfather was who? Anybody? <laughs> Abraham. Okay, Abraham. Lord help us. Okay, so, um, so um, Jacob started off with some rejection roots in his life. In fact, he was a twin. And when he came out of the womb, the Bible says he was grabbing at his brother's heel. So they named him Jacob because at the time, Jacob meant trickster, swindler, and deceiver. So just think, the firstborn gets all these rights, all this inheritance, and you're minutes away from being the firstborn. Not years, minutes. And your twin brother Esau just happens to come out first, and you're grabbing at his heel almost to say, the Bible says, almost to say as if he's saying, get back in here and let me come out first. So he's full of this rejection. Then, because his uh, grandfather was Abraham, he knew right from wrong. So he had religion. And he spent most of his life, most of his young adult life, uh, rebellious, completely rebellious uh, against anything God wanted to do in his life. It was a I mean, he deceived, he tricked, all these horrible things. So one day, because of all the bad things he does, his twin brother says, I'm coming to kill you. He gets word his twin brother's coming to Now, his twin Esau, the Bible, in other words, God describes Esau as a skilled hunter. If a skilled ping pong player says he's coming to kill you, you don't really worry that much. It's not that big of a deal. But when a skilled hunter says he's coming to kill you, you run for your life. So Jacob is, is south of Israel. His goal is to get as far north as he possibly can. And he's at, if you study the Bible, he's actually traveling twice as fast as most people running from all these problems in his life. He's running. The sun starts to set, so he starts to make camp. And in Genesis 28, 12, something interesting happens. It's the first time we see the verbal reference of church in the Bible. It says, Jacob stopped for the night because the sun had set. Jacob had a dream in which he, in which he heard Led Zeppelin, in which he saw a stairway or a ladder to heaven. Now, the interesting thing is when he saw in his dream, he thought, this is a ladder from earth to heaven. But if you read John 151 in the New Testament, Jesus actually said, I'm the ladder. And it's not from earth to heaven. It's from heaven to earth. So Jesus is the ladder. But anyway, so interesting. The Lord told him, I'm going to bless you so much. All your descendants will be blessed. They're going to spread out everywhere. Where he was at was a place called Luz. And it was like right in the middle of the promised land. North, south, east, or west was all the great stuff. God said, I'm going to send them everywhere. They'll all be blessed by you. I'll watch over you. I won't leave you. In verse 16, Jacob woke up and he thought, the Lord has manifested himself here. This place is awesome. It's none other than the house of God. So he called the place Bethel. Meaning church or house of God. El meaning God. Beth meaning um, house. It's his church reference. As a side note, just a side superhero note, 
Um, Superman was from the, uh, the, the family of El. His dad's name was Jor-El, and, and Superman's name was Kal-El, and they got that from the Bible, just so if anybody wanted to know whenever you're... I'll give you that for free. You don't have to pay for that at all. Okay, so, um, so he's running from God. All these bad things are happening. God shows up and says, listen, uh, you need to spend time with me. Everything's going to change. In verse 20, Jacob made a vow and said, man, you're my God. In other words, he gets saved, you might say, and he even starts tithing. And the tithing was never in the law. He just saw his grandfather Abraham do it. So you would think because he got saved and everything's changed and God shows up, now his whole life's going to be great. But like many of us, he backslid. He got rebellious. He did his own thing. He started trying to climb that ladder to make all these promises happen in his own strength. So he would deceive and manipulate and have a lack of integrity to get more money. In fact, he spent the next two chapters of the Bible going after women and money. He wanted more wives and he wanted more livestock. So God shows up in Genesis 31, 13 and says, Jacob, I'm the God of church, the place where you got saved, the place where you made a vow to me. Now leave where you're at and go back. No matter how many times we uproot ourselves, Jesus will be there with fertilizer to say, go back, get back to church, get back, recommit yourself, deal with your past. So this is the story where the angel shows up. The angel represents Jesus, of course, because it's called the angel, not an angel. Genesis 32, 24, Jacob and Jesus wrestle all night. And then the angel touched his hip joint and Jacob's hip was dislocated. Okay, this is what I wanted you to see, okay? The God of miracles, the God of healing, just made somebody have a bigger problem than when they showed up. The God who heals just gave somebody a hip out of socket. Up until this point, Jacob spent his whole life trying to succeed in his own strength, his own wisdom, his own way of manipulating and tricking people. And up until this point, it never worked, no matter how hard he tried. And so now, for the rest of his life, he has to walk with a limp. Everywhere he goes, now he's limping. Not because he fell off his bike. Not because he just got old. But because Jesus himself knocked that hip out of joint. So now, for the rest of his life, every day he gets up, he has to rely on God just to get through the day. You know that God will put so much fertilizer in your life until you're willing to turn to him and rely on him. And some of you have been spending your, all these years, you go to church and do your thing, but six days out of the week, it's all you by yourself. Jesus will take everything from you and put you in a desert for 40 years if it means you turning to him and relying on him. So his hips knocked out in verse 26, Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go. In other words, I'm going to abide. I'm not leaving you. I'm carrying you with me everywhere. I need you to bless me. It's only you and you alone that can do this. And so in verse 28, the angel said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, schemer, trickster, deceiver. But your new name is Israel, one who still struggles, but God. Prevails. The reason I'm here every Sunday isn't because I'm super spiritual. It's because I'm not. The reason I'm here each week isn't because I'm a good person. It's because I'm not. The reason that you see me preaching to you is not because I'm full of wisdom and know all the answers. It's because I don't. 
Church is the place that I come to rely on God because I struggle, but God always prevails. Amen. Amen. If you struggle and you need God, shout amen. amen. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for doing only what you can do in our life. Lord, teach us before any fertilizer comes our way how to rely on you. Lord, we want to experience the enjoyable manifestations, but we recognize that sometimes you bring us some of the unenjoyable ones, not because you hate us, but because you love us. And this is good news, because this means no matter how rebellious I am, actually, this is better news than that. This means no matter how rebellious my kids are, or my family, or my loved ones, or my friends, or the people I'm praying for, no matter how rebellious we are, no matter how much we try to let religion take us to you, no matter how rejected we feel, you will pursue us and pursue us and pursue us and do whatever it takes for us to turn to you. So um, maybe God's speaking to you today about the rejection roots. And you know what it's like to feel like you're just another body taking up air. And you think there's got to be something more to this. Does, does anyone see me? You know, can I do anything good in my life? Maybe, uh, maybe you had a parent that died. Maybe you had, um, maybe you went through a bad marriage and you just feel rejected. Whatever the case is. Maybe your, your, all of your self-esteem, self-worth comes from, um, social media or, or boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever the case is. Um, maybe you have religious roots and uh, you've been trying to climb the ladder and nothing seems to change. And you do good for a few days and you're right back down and you need to learn how to spend time with the sun. Or maybe you're like me and sometimes this rebellious root gets inside of you and you know for a fact you're doing wrong but you do it anyway. If you're here today and, and, and Jesus spoke to you, and maybe you feel a little bit like Jacob, and um, you know you, you know right from wrong, and you grew up in that, and, and, uh, but you just haven't been relying on God. You've been relying on everything, but I just want to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand as a sign of faith just to say that I need um, Jesus, the reason I'm here is because I struggle. It's not because I don't. I'm here because I struggle. Hands high. 30 seconds. Lord, every person has their hand raised and says, I struggle. I need, I need the sun. I need water. I need the sun. And I'm willing to take the fertilizer because I want to be reminded daily, i got to rely on Jesus. No matter how hard I try to climb the ladder, I can't go three, four stairs. <laughs> no matter how much I try to change, it can't be done without the sun. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I want the polarity of my heart to change. I want the desires for God to be stronger than they are right now. I want the desire to give my life to increase each and every week. Lord, bring healing to our lives. Do what only you can do. 
We thank you for being a good God in our life. In Jesus' name, everybody said.